Well, good morning. If you are new to New Hope, a special welcome to you. It's great to have you here today. Um, in case you missed it on the website, our services are three hours long. Uh, and actually, that's just my sermon. So, uh, sorry, I'm kidding. We wouldn't do that to you. So today we're going to look at obedience to God, particularly how far will you go in obedience to God. Uh, Before we start, I want my words to be what God wants me to say, so let's just bow our heads. Father, thank you that you have brought us together today. I pray, Lord, that you would guide my words. I pray that they would be what you want them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So picture this, you're you're minding your own business, going about your day-to-day work, and one day God asks you to kill your son. Oh, hang on, sorry, I missed that God. What did you want me to do? Yeah, God God wants me to kill my son. Well, this is exactly what happened to this guy called Abraham about 4,000 years ago. Um, Although there isn't universal consensus on this, a lot of experts think that he lived from 2166 BC to 1991 BC. So we're talking about around 4,000 years ago. And God told him to kill his son. This is not an everyday request. But before we can make sense of this, we need some background. First of all, a bit of geographical background. Um, The area we're talking about is the ancient Near East. Who here is familiar with where that is roughly? The ancient Near East? A few of us. Okay, so roughly speaking, it corresponds to the modern Middle East. Okay, so it includes Mesopotamia, It's not a word we hear too often these days. It's sort of modern Iraq, southeast Turkey, southwest Iran, northeastern Syria, and Kuwait. It also includes ancient Egypt, ancient Iran, and the Levant, which is modern Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, Israel, and Jordan, that whole area there just near the Mediterranean. Uh, Cyprus, the Arabian Peninsula, and a few other of those areas around there. So that's the kind of area we're talking about. In terms of the cultural background, Well, there's a few elements we need to look at. Preservation of one's family line was of the utmost importance back then. We see this in Abraham's conversation. Now, I'm saying Abraham because this this conversation happened before he was renamed to Abraham. So in Abraham's conversation with the Lord in Genesis 15, we see there Abraham's concern with having a child to inherit his estate and God's promise of offspring as numerous as the stars. Now, related to this is another important aspect of the cultural concept, uh, context concerns childbearing. Um, it's a little different than I realized. Here's a quote here. It says, The privilege of childbearing was appropriately viewed to be in God's hands. Conversely, the inability to bear children was seen as his punishment. Ancient people often considered a barren woman accursed. And in some cases, her condition served as cause for divorce. It's a little rough. We didn't see that today, thankfully. Marriage contracts of the time stipulated that an infertile wife should provide her husband with a surrogate childbearer. In other words, she had to go out, find some other woman to sleep with her husband and have a child for her husband. So you can see the importance of having children, the importance of preserving that family line. And another aspect of, of the cultural context is that many nations in the ancient Near East believed in many gods, and they believed that their fate was largely in the hands of these gods, particularly for things like uh, their crops, that their crops would grow, and for their safety. They believed that if the gods were with them, then 
Um, then if some other nation attacked them, they'd be able to fight off that nation, or if they wanted to conquer some other nation, as long as their gods were with them, then they'd be okay. So they, they believed these, these gods were basically in control, uh, largely of their life. And as a result, they did things to try to bring about the favor of these gods. One of the things they did was child sacrifice. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of how they went about child sacrifice, because some of it is absolutely horrific. But child sacrifice was common in the ancient Near East. So this would not have been a foreign concept to the Israelites of that day. And it would not have been a foreign concept to Abraham. And in terms of the... So these are things we useful to keep in mind as we'll come to this passage. In terms of the historical background, in chapter 17 of Genesis, we see God makes a covenant with Abraham, promising to make him a father of many nations. Specifically, God promises to Abraham that he would bless Sarah and Abraham um, by giving them a son uh, that they are to name Isaac. Abraham at the time was about 99 years old. Sarah wasn't young either. She was almost 90. So, um, and she was also barren. She couldn't have any children. So when God said that to Abraham, I could just imagine him thinking, okay, God, I hear you saying these things, but... Um, you know I'm an old man, right? You know Sarah's pretty old. How exactly is this going to work? So, so that is in chapter 17. And then in chapter 21, God says to Abraham, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, he's saying, you know that covenant I talked to you about, where I promised you many descendants, the whole father of many nations thing? Well, that, that's all going to happen through Isaac, the son that I'll give you. So Isaac then is the son of the promise. So perhaps Abraham is thinking, well, this doesn't make sense to me, but okay, great. Blessings, descendants, let's do this. You know, me and God, we've got a plan. So that's the background, and it's useful to have that in mind. So now uh, we're going to look at the, the passage um, for today, which is in Genesis 22, which Esther is going to read for us. Um, so... As, we, as she reads this, just keep in mind the background that we've talked about, where it is, the sort of cultural things going on, and, and some of that uh, historical background. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> so this is Genesis 22, verse 1 to 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he, cut the, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him to, about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. 
he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there, and in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off to Sit off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Cool. Thanks, Esther. So God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. In fact, his words were, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, of course, Isaac was not Abraham's only son. He also had Ishmael. Um, But describing Isaac as your only son gives special recognition to Isaac. Isaac was the only son of the promise. Remember, it's through him that all all that good stuff will happen. So how would we react if God told us to do such a thing? Some years ago, Jack Smith, a columnist for the LA Times, wrote about this biblical account. He said he would have told God to mind his own business. And Actually, that's largely what people say today, isn't it? Mind your business, God. Stay out of my life. Picture yourself in that situation. How would you respond? What would you do? Your son, your daughter. God's asking you to kill him. Personally, I would struggle with that. I would struggle big time. Now, I don't think God would ask any of us to sacrifice one of our children today, but there are other things God asks us to do. A number of years ago, God spoke to me about going into Christian ministry, and in a way that was easy, because that's where he'd been leading my heart. But on the other hand, financially, that's not so easy. That's, that's a big hit financially. Is there something that God is telling you to do in your life? Something that you're perhaps trying to, uh, can't hear you, God, can't hear you, pretend it's not happening. Something where you think, well, you know what? It's just really inconvenient right now. I don't want to do it. Well, returning to Abraham, what would he have been thinking? Would he have been wondering if this God is the same as the many gods of the surrounding nations in requiring child sacrifice. Remember, that's what was going on around them, in these nations around them. Because the real question is, how far would Abraham go in obedience to God? Did he really believe that God would keep his word and bless him through Isaac? After all, this command to sacrifice Isaac must have seemed to Abraham to be totally unreasonable. In fact, totally illogical. How could God fulfill the promises he made earlier regarding giving Abraham many descendants, etc., if, if Abraham kills the son of the promise. Right? It doesn't make sense. And of course, personally for Abraham, there would be the incredible sorrow and devastation with losing his beloved son. So what was Abraham's response? We see in verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. 
early the next morning. No hesitation, no questioning, no procrastination. Simply prompt obedience. The key point here is obey God promptly. Obey God promptly. Actually, we see the same response in the previous chapter when God told Abraham to send Ishmael away. Again, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy, being Ishmael. So in Abraham's life, we see a consistent pattern of prompt obedience. This is what pleases God, right? This is what God is looking for from each one of us. So the second point there is obey God consistently. Obey God consistently. What he's looking for is a consistent pattern of prompt obedience in our life. So Abraham got off to an early start. Now the distance from Beersheba to Mount Moriah was about 80 kilometers, which in those days was a three-day journey. So we've got a photo, hopefully. Here we go, there. So you can see just west of the Salt Sea, he traveled from Beersheba, around, around about 80 kilometers, up to Mount Moriah, which is Jerusalem, in that area of Jerusalem. Three days. This is a long time to be carrying in your head the idea that you're about to slay your son. It was certainly enough time for Abraham to have second thoughts and change his mind. I don't know if he was thinking that. The Bible doesn't say that. But it's a long time to be thinking, okay, I'm going to kill my son. We're going to a mountain. I'm going to kill my son. Um, it's, a, it's a tough thing to carry. Notice the exchange between Isaac and Abraham in verses 7 to 8. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's a good question. If it was me, I think I'd be stuttering and stammering a wee bit. Ah, yeah, the lamb. I've been meaning to speak to you about that, Isaac. Um, but look at Abraham's response. In verse 8 he says, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. This response demonstrates great faith. Because at the time Abraham said to Isaac, God himself will provide, he didn't know that God was going to provide an alternate sacrifice. He trusted God completely for the overall outcome, but he left God's method as his own affair. Have you ever found yourself wanting God to do what you want your way? I certainly have. And maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe you've got some really annoying co-worker and you're thinking to God, God, if you could just shift this person out, maybe find them a new job, or even just get them out of my department, that'd be great. But maybe God has a different plan. Maybe God is changing you by having them in your life. Maybe you have to maybe smooth some of those rough edges in the way you interact with people. And God's leaving that person in your life intentionally so that you can be changed. So here's a case of, that would be a case of you wanting God to do what you want your way, right? Get that person out. But God has a slightly different plan. The end result is essentially the same. Your life will be better once you are changed, once your heart is changed. But the method is different, right? God has his methods. We have ours. They're not always the same. In verses 9 to 10, we read, When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So there we see it. Abraham was willing to go through with it, to plunge the knife into his beloved son. This shows there was nothing he would withhold from God. 
So a key point for us there is surrender the best to God, holding nothing back. Surrender the best to God, holding nothing back. So then we see God's intervention in such a dramatic fashion. Just as Abraham took the knife to slay Isaac and the angel of the Lord stepped in. This shows that God never intended Abraham to go through with the sacrifice. After all, child sacrifice was not to be practiced in Israel. The God of Israel, Yahweh, is different to the gods of the surrounding nations. Now God knew that Abraham would hold nothing back from him and that he did in fact fear God. What does it mean to fear God? We read that in the Bible quite a lot. In fact, we're told to fear God. What does that mean? Are we supposed to be trembling in our boots in fear of him? Well, it captures the idea of a reverential awe and respect, a wonder, you know, this God of the universe who made hundreds of billions of stars, all the galaxies, but also on this earth here has created such incredible detail down to the subatomic level. So it captures that, but it also has the idea of acting on this understanding, right, of actually acting based on our understanding of this amazing God. <coughs> so to fear God, <coughs> we can say that it means to reverence him as sovereign, trust him completely, and obey him without question. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> because true fear, a true fear of God means we're actually, we're actually going ahead and it's changing our lives, changing the way we, we actually uh, carry out our lives. So what happens next? Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. So Abraham was right. God did indeed provide for the burnt offering. When I was thinking about studying, I have to confess, I didn't have perfect faith at all. I worried about the finances, how things would work out. Um, and then I caught myself one day and I thought, hang on a minute, I know this is God who's called me to this. This impression he gave me wouldn't leave me for years. It was about eight years ago now. The impression wouldn't leave me. So I thought, okay. And it would also be sort of confirmed by some other, some other things that happened. So I said, okay, it's God who's calling me. Then I'm just going to take the step and see what happens. I'm going to watch God come through. So I did it. And financially, it's worked out. We have food on the table. We can pay the bills. We don't have to run outside on our togs to shower while it's raining. We do have running hot water in the house. This is a good thing. I'm sure the neighbors are very pleased about this. Now, just to clarify, we've had to play our part, right? It's a partnership between us and God. We obviously can't be reckless with our spending. We have to be prudent, wise, make good decisions. But God's making it work. He's provided. So the key point for us here is, if God leads you to something, notice, not if, if your friend, your best friend, or your work colleague, or your boss, if God leads you to do something, he will provide what is needed. Thanks, Mikey. <clears throat> Dude, we've got such a good team. He's me coughing away up here and they're bringing me some water. <clears throat> so he will provide what's needed. And this is so important for our theology, <clears throat> for our understanding of God. Because if we don't believe that God will provide, then we won't step out in faith. We won't take the risks he's calling us to take. See, God is not calling us to play it safe our entire Christian lives. 
Now, I'm not saying that we're to make rash decisions or make, take unfounded risks without consideration of the implications. But if God is calling you to take a risk and you doubt his faithfulness in providing, you may well turn away from that risk and play it safe, missing out on God's blessings. Not to mention the faith-building experience that comes from, from watching God come through as you step out to bless others. <clears throat> Years ago in our small group, we did a study by John Bevere, and in it, he talked about this pastor who was given a vision by God, a vision to build this facility. Uh, it, was a, it was a large church, included, you know, um, it was a multi-purpose facility. It cost millions of dollars to build, and it required a lot of faith to step out and actually do that because they didn't have the money. But he did it. He built this thing, and God stepped in. The place, the, the, the numbers grew. It was, it was um, abundantly blessed. They quite quickly had a, a, a huge number of people there. The place was filled. After a service one day, the pastor noticed near the back, most people had left, but he noticed this old man, this elderly gentleman sitting near the back, crying. He was just sobbing quietly to himself. And the pastor went down and he said, look, I'm sorry, I couldn't help but notice you. You're upset, what, what's wrong? And the old man said, years ago, God gave me a vision to build this place. He said, God gave me this exact vision. As he looked around at this facility, it was exactly what God had shown him to build, and he didn't do it. He procrastinated, maybe he didn't trust that God would actually provide, it was a huge risk to take, and he didn't do it. And now, as an old man, he was left sitting there at the back, realizing that uh, God had given the vision to someone else who had carried it out. And he was left wondering what might have been. Don't be that old man. Don't be that old man. If God's given you a vision, he will provide. He will provide. Go for it. He will provide. So what was the purpose of the test God gave Abraham? Well, on the surface, it appears that the purpose was to reveal to God the genuineness of Abraham's faith with the idea that God would bless Abraham if his faith withstood the test. But did the God who knows the end from the beginning not know how Abraham would respond to the test? Well, I think the purpose of the test includes learning for Abraham himself, so he can go through a test like this and come out the other side saying, wow, okay, I really am a man of faith. I was ready to kill my son to be obedient to God. Having certainty in our faith helps to drive us forward in our walk with God to take on even bigger challenges next time. But it's not just Abraham who can learn from this. You see, we as the readers, and in fact all Christians throughout history can, who read this story can see the great faith of this man, Abraham. You see, his test becomes our example. We call him a patriarch, and it's true, he was. But he was also just a man, as fallible as any one of us. If you remember... He lied about who Sarah was. Multiple times he said Sarah was his, his sister, when actually Sarah was his wife. Yeah, he, he tried to get out of it by saying there was a, it was a half-truth, actually, because I think she was his half-sister. But the intention was a lie. So he was, he was a fallible man like any one of us. So in seeing this fallible human respond to God's command with such faith, we see that we also can live with this kind of faith. Now, ultimately we, ultimately, we don't know the purpose of the test. 
because there is a contradiction between the testing of God and the providing of God. And this is a contradiction we cannot fully explain. You see, God does not conform to our ideas of, of logic and rational consistency. He's a free Lord who does as he pleases. And this highlights another key theme of this passage, which is God's sovereignty. You see, it's important for our faith journey that we come to a place of acceptance of this. Acceptance of the fact that sometimes God acts in ways that make absolutely no sense to us. Ways that seem illogical, ways that may seem like he's making a mess of things, a complete mess. But God is God. So a key point here for us is faith recognizes and accepts God's sovereignty. We need to recognize and accept God's sovereignty. So we've looked at some key points here. We can summarize these by saying that um, we see some timeless lessons about true worship. Faith obeys completely the word of God. Faith surrenders the best to God, holding nothing back. Faith waits on the Lord to provide all one's needs. And faith recognizes and accepts God's sovereignty. Now, as the worship team comes up, we'll just finish by looking at some key parallels between this passage and the crucifixion of Jesus. We looked earlier at that photo that was up there. We saw it showed Abraham about to slay his son on one side. On the other side, it showed Jesus on the cross. That's important because there are actually some, some very interesting and key parallels between them. You see, Abraham put forward Isaac, who was described as his only son, as a sacrifice. And of course, God put forward Jesus, his only son, to be sacrificed. Abraham had to choose whether or not to obey God. And Jesus in Gethsemane had to choose whether or not to obey God. Right? Not, not my will, Father, but yours. Um, Isaac had wood. Remember in the story, Isaac had wood for the burnt offering placed on him that was to be used in his death. And Jesus, of course, had wood, that's the cross, placed on him that was used in his death. In Genesis 22, we see a substitutionary death where a ram in place of Isaac. And, of course, Jesus died in our place. And Isaac, as a sacrificial lamb, demonstrated Abraham's faithfulness and love and resulted in great blessing for God's people. And, of course, Jesus, as a sacrificial lamb, demonstrated God's faithfulness and love and resulted in great blessing for God's people. So these parallels are interesting to note, but simply being interesting to us is not the main purpose. These parallels point to Jesus. See, the whole Bible actually points to Jesus. Right through the Old Testament, we see God's hand. He's in control of everything. You know, we see the rulers of all these nations, the, the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, and these guys think they're controlling the world and that, 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 that's all, that they've got everything under control. Well, actually, God used them. He was in control. He would not have let them, for example, completely wipe out the Israelite nation, even though militarily they were far superior and could have if God wasn't involved. But right through the Bible, everything is designed to point to Jesus. Why is that important? Because Jesus is the way to God. He's the one way to God. He's the only way to God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your faithfulness that we can trust you completely. I pray that we would recognize your faithfulness and that as a result we would obey completely your word, knowing that it is the word of a God we can trust. I pray we would have the faith of Abraham so we would be willing to surrender the best to you, holding nothing back, even those things we consider important from a worldly perspective. I pray that we would be willing to take risks for you, 
knowing that you will provide where you have called us. And Lord, we acknowledge your sovereignty and choose to obey you even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems costly to do so. May your will, not ours, be done in our lives so our lives would bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.